Hello, people who I were going to listen to a lecture about neuropharmacology. This is Dave Broadbeck. Uh, so the course of neuropharmacology, this lecture, and uh, the course code is Psychology and Biology, 3506. Hope you get something out of this. Hope you enjoy it. Um, or you don't. As I said, you know, many times, really, I'm pretty good at this. So if you don't enjoy it or get something out of it, that's on you, man. Okay, so today uh, we're going to talk about antidepressants. Uh, you probably have a pretty good idea what these drugs are for. It's in the freaking name. Depression. Pulled this up. You can see it's just lifted from Wikipedia, but obviously it is. Um, this is in the United States. This is the, the data they have in there is from 2010. This is number of prescriptions for different kinds of antidepressants in the United States. Those are not in these, you know, small, trivial numbers. Those are 30 odd million. There are 300 what? 1 million people living in the States? Now, these all wouldn't be for depression, these prescriptions. Because these drugs are used for other things, other, usually, uh, psychological issues. Look at some of them. So the flux, that's, that's Prozac. 24,473,994. And there's no reason to suggest that would be a whole lot different. And I just divide all the numbers right. Is that a little different? Not a lot. So people take antidepressants. It's a thing, right? Like, and one of the things, in fact, that I've noticed over the years of teaching this class, the first time I taught this class was in the fall of 1998, going over to And when I would talk about antidepressants, no one would talk about them. And I knew there must be people who were taking them. And nowadays, I'm not trying to take you to the same But I, I guarantee someone who's taking antidepressants, first of all. And secondly, people aren't ashamed about it anymore. There's no, the stigma's a lot less than it used to be. That's a good thing. Um, that's a real change I've seen over the last about 22 years. I'm so old. All right. So. So like I said, it's obvious what they're for. It's in the name. But I guess the question is, what's depression? Now, I'm not going to go in, and I'm not an expert in any sort of clinical stuff whatsoever. But I want to... Um, have a just tell you a little bit about what we're talking about here. So depression is not just feeling down, you know. In popular parlance it is. So if I'm talking, you know, you say I'm feeling kind of depressed today. And I know you don't mean I have flat affect, no appetite, I can't get out of bed, and I think everything in the world that is wrong is my fault. What you think is I'm feeling kind of sad. Right? And I guess it's okay that we use that term, popular parlance. On the other hand, people do have real, say, major depressive disorder. And it's not just because they're having a bad day, right? Um, sort of two minds about these things. It's like when people say, you know, I'm a little bit OCD. When people say that, I usually say, oh, really? Do you have to wash your hands five or 600 times until they get so raw that they're bleeding? No, you like your room clean. That's not OCD. It's like saying, oh, I'm a little diabetic today. No. You're just a little diabetic. <laughs> Don't say that, right? I, I have said, uh, I will admit to every time I get a shot, like a flu shot, I do look at the doctor every single time and say, when does the autism begin? Just, 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 just for fun, just to see what the reaction is. And by the way, vaccines don't cause autism. I just want to make that But yeah, so I don't know. It's not just feeling down. That's the thing. Um, there's some interesting stuff about being depressed. It's about like flat affect. It's no feelings. And it's negative thoughts about oneself. 
So there's, a, there's an effect in, in cognitive psychology and memory called the Pollyanna effect. <laughs> the Pollyanna effect says that we, when I give you a list of words, you are more likely to remember positive words, nice words. So if I give you a table, chair, light, happiness, joy, fun, you're more likely to remember happiness, joy, fun. Okay. Uh, weird thing, uh, by the way, as an aside, uh, schizophrenics, we talked about last time, they don't show the Pollyanna effect, which is weird. Depressed people show the opposite. They remember, if I'm a bad list of words, sad, uh, joyless genocide. Wow. So they're more likely to remember those words than the happy words. They show a reverse Pollyanna effect. That should give you an idea into the sort of almost thought disorder that's happening in depressed people, right? People at the very bottom of depression are not that likely to, because you always worry about, say, self-harm. Um, suicides are more likely when you're getting better. So in fact, people say, oh, these antidepressants cause suicide. Actually, no, it's they're causing let out the depression to get better, and you have just enough self-confidence to think you might get kill yourself. And in the throes of major depressive disorder, the thought process is like this. If I try to kill myself, I'll screw that up too. And you know how we have this bias in our, our way of thinking? This what's called the what is it, social psychology thing. It's called the fundamental attribution error, the idea that um, anything good I did and anything bad, well, was an external force, right? And we all do that. It's silly, but we all do it. When we do really well in a test, we blame ourselves. I worked hard, I'm smart. Who do you blame when you do poorly on a test? Rodbeck is an asshole, right? That's what you do. And it's your fault, not mine. So. I can't, I can't. Sometimes I just do little characters there. Um, on the other hand, or think about this, you're driving down the street and you cut somebody off. Do you ever say, God, am I a shitty driver? No, you say, oh, I'm sorry, and you wave. And the other guy doesn't think, who you cut off, doesn't go, oh, obviously having a bad day. They think, what a shitty driver, right? We do that all the time. Depressed people don't. I screwed that up. And when you point out to actual people with major depressive disorder, when therapists point out to them, no, you have friends. No, they're not really my friends. Your family loves you, don't they know. Or, well, they have to because they're my family. It's a thought disorder. It's amazing how that works. And those of you who have had these kind of disorders or been around people like that, it is confronting people like that doesn't work. That's why therapists just have to be trained. You can't just go, no, you're stupid, because that's not good. That's why I don't do therapy, because I would just be yelling at people. Stop being so, you know, and then I would know that it wouldn't work anyway. Anyway, so that's why drugs plus therapy are, you know, the way to go with depression. So it's a lack of emotion and negative thoughts. It's a lack of emotion plus negative thoughts. It's not a lack of negative. Make sense? Okay, so those of you who have only taken intro psych or who haven't uh, taken, say, psychopathology. I took psychopathology in 1987. Back when we called it abnormal psychology. Anyway, it does seem to be more common now than it ever has been, and this is probably mostly, I would think, because people are more likely to achieve. There's less stigma. There's less stigma. I never used to get students ask, ask me questions about their own medication. I usually then say, I am not that kind of doctor, uh, but they'll ask me, do you know anything about antidepressants? And I'll say, yeah, sure. And they'll say, yeah, because I'm taking X. People never used to do that. So I think a lot of the, there's more depression now is because people are more likely to, they're not afraid to get diagnosed. They'd rather get well. All right. So we've got major depressive disorder and bipolar affective disorder. Now look, there's other things here too. There's uh, 
call it a quote, mild version of major depressive disorder is dysthymia. There's things like that. But really, we're falling into two camps. There's major depressive disorder. It's like um, people sometimes say clinical depression, which isn't a thing in a DSM. Low self-esteem, lack of interest in things that people find interesting or people that like. Okay? So I don't want to eat. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to wash my hair. I don't want to have a shower. No reason to. I'm just going to lie here. An actual physical pain, people report, you know, aches and pains. So you get a loss of interest, not in things that people generally like uh, only, but also in things that people used to like. So maybe you used to like, I don't know, making model planes. I used to make model planes. I've been in my office and seen some model planes. Then when my son was born, I thought having paint thinner and paint and glue that, uh, let's not make model planes anymore. Um, I still have all my stuff. Packed away, I should probably start doing it again. Because it reminds me of being 12, it's fun. Um, so if I saw podcasting, uh, you'll know there's something wrong with it. Um, so I, if you have an interest, then you suddenly don't find an interest in it. Okay? So bipolar has the major depressive disorder angle, plus it's got mania. Right? It, and you can kind of think of mania as like the opposite of depression. It's all the emotions. So people become irritable. They have what's called pressure of speech. I think that's what it's called in there. I think that's in the DSM. And what that means is they don't shut up. And I don't mean like me, if you've ever met me. Uh, I mean like they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and they don't stop talking. And it's almost like something's making them talk. They're feeling a pressure that they have to always talk. And again, this isn't like your friend who talks a lot. This isn't like me and my brother, who once said, we don't have any uncomfortable silences in our family. We don't have any comfortable ones either. We just are always hard. People feel invincible. Uh, people will do crazy things, like uh, max out their credit cards in like a day. They're having a manic episode. They're great. And that sounds like, hey, that sounds like a fun person to be around. They probably buy presents for me. Um, until you challenge them and say, you know, I think probably running up to your $23,000 credit limit is a mistake. So they feel invincible and then you challenge them and then they get sometimes violent. So it's, it's a, this is a scary thing. It's a scary thing. Not always. Not, this is, you know, not everybody who's got bipolar is running around maxing out their credit card and having unprotected sex with everybody they meet. But they're more likely. Okay. Data, this is also, this is from 2011 when I got this, yeah. So this is telling us depression in the last 12 months. This is if you have, this is infant depression. I don't know how we, how we diagnose that. The baby lying there going, I couldn't even shit my pants properly. Uh, so um, this is if you have an infant, if you have a child, it doesn't seem to vary a great deal about having kids when they're the most pressure, okay? Oh, and there's the most, what's the most difficult to have kids, really? Infants are hard, but you can just put them down and walk away for a while. Yeah, crib. Like, I mean, again, you shouldn't, I'm not saying walk away for a couple weeks. But you can put your kid down, have a cup of coffee, and pretend they are crying. You can do that. Doesn't make you bad That's the things you realize when you have a second kid. The first kid, you just stand there. Is he okay? Is he breathing? You love this. I think he's still breathing. I'm serious. If you haven't had kids, you're laughing, and we will all do that. And then when they get, while kids between 12 and 17 are probably the worst of all people, um, right? A bunch of 15-year-olds, you go, oh, God. Ew. But they're out of the house. They're doing things like that. But So you see a little bump here. Um, the biggest effect, as you can see here, is income. It is more... The higher your, in, your income, right, this is US dollars, uh, the less likely you are to be depressed. So there are certainly environmental things. It's not just something which is hard coded in you. This isn't, so it's not in that way, it's not like uh, diabetes, right? 
surprise you, right? More pressure. Uh, there was a big uptick, uptick in depression after the 2008 uh, stock market crash. And not because we all hold giant amounts of stocks, because the economy did, suddenly did poorly. And when the economy does poorly, everybody suffers. And you suffer more if you're poorer. Right? Okay. So the thing about depression is it seems to be related to monoamine neurotransmitters. Dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin. Okay. As I just said right there, so serotonin, norepinephrine, do dopamine specifically. And especially serotonin. Now, is serotonin magical? Is, is it the magical neurotransmitter that causes depression and causes happiness? Of course, that's ridiculous. But it plays a role. Serotonin levels affect mood. That's clear. Is it only serotonin? No. All right. So it's not the, the cause, a lack of serotonin, but it is related to it. It's not the only thing. It's not like schizophrenia with dopamine where it's like bang, bang, bang. We know. That's not what we have going on here. And all the drugs seem to work on depression, work on, uh, on the serotonin system. So it makes you think serotonin's playing a big role. Right? Questions? So a little bit of history how these drugs were discovered. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors were discovered by accident. Uh, they're antidepressant qualities. They were, they were originally being developed for use uh, against tuberculosis, against TB. And people in these clinical trials, but people that had tuberculosis, said, hey, people are starting to get in a good mood taking these drugs. Oh. So the antidepressant effects were discovered serendipitously, which is kind of amazing. And the same thing happened with tricyclic antidepressants. Antidepressants? I don't have trouble talking. It's called a tricyclic antidepressant because the molecules tend to look like this and they have tricyclics, like three circles. Um, monoamine oxidase inhibitors are potentially the first generation of monoamine oxidase inhibitors. The ones that were discovered in the 50s um, were called, well, Back up. There are two enzymes that break down monoamine neurotransmitters. There's monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B. The neurochemists were not feeling creative on those days, and so they just named them A and B. Now, the thing is, monoamine oxidase is important in uh, well, a lot of processes in your body, one of them being digestion, especially digestion of, um, oh, I forget the name of the freaking peptide, but it's, it's in um, uh, aged foods and in fermented things, so a lot of stuff, you know, like alcohol, cheese, yogurt, there's a lot of things that you can't then digest, so it's causing digestive issues. Um, and potentially very dangerous things. Because what these drugs were doing was they were bonding to monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B and creating another molecule that was basically inert. So now you don't have any monoamine oxidase. There's a second generation of, of, of monoamine oxidase inhibitors called uh, REMAs. Reversible inhibitors of monoamine oxidase A. Called. So reversible inhibitors of monoamine oxidase A. So first of all, they don't even go after B. So you still have monoamine oxidase B. And secondly, they're reversible. 
So unlike the first generation of monoamine oxidase inhibitors, unlike those, what they're doing is they don't form what are called covalent bonds. Here to chemistry. Got it. Okay, so. And for those of you who didn't, covalent bonds create brand new molecules. Okay? But hydrogen bonds, which is what uh, remas are typically, they are very weak bonds. They don't form new molecules, and they, in solution, they break apart. So what you end up having it is something that's easily, it's reversible. It's not turning your monoamine oxidase for the next two weeks into, oh, it's gone. It's only, it's only targeting half of your monoamine oxidase. And it's a reversible thing. So if you take too much, you can reverse it. Good. A little, quite a bit more safe. Okay. Now, the big thing here with the second generation or new generation or antidepressants 2.0 or whatever you want to call them um, is SS, excuse me, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, so, monoamine oxidase inhibitors work by making your monoamines not get broken down. So there's more dopamine more norepinephrine and more serotonin right? The way that SSRIs work, their names tells you exactly how they work, just like MAOIs do, they selectively stop the reuptake of serotonin. So it doesn't get taken back up into the originating neuron, it stays in the synapse even if it hasn't bound onto a binding site. They do this by blocking uh, They block CERT. CERT is the serotonin uh, transmitter. Uh, transmitter, transporter. So it's a transport molecule. It grabs the serotonin and pulls it back. Yeah, it puts those over its shoulder and anthropomorphizing just a little. Uh, okay, so it blocks that. So now you're, this is another way of making more serotonin available into the, uh, in the nervous system. Then there's even newer, so that's Prozac, fluoxetine. That, that was when that came out in the early, uh, late 80s. <laughs> Everybody was taking Prozac. People were taking Prozac because they thought it made them more confident. Being taken basically as a personality cosmetic. Um, more recently, you've got things like SSNRIs, that's selective serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So they not only block CERT, they also block NET, which is the norepinephrine transporter. They work the same way, except it's a different transport molecule. They block the same one that, say, fluoxetine blocks, that Prozac blocks, but they also block the one uh, that causes reuptake of norepinephrine. Uh, there's also just NRIs, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and they don't seem to work that well, actually, as antidepressants. So norepinephrine on its own isn't probably the source of serotonin, of serotonin, of depression, uh, or uh, any sort of mood disorder. And I say they, I'm going to say they might not work. Um, the data seem to be equivocal. Sometimes you see studies saying, this drug works for depression. Other times, no. So it's still up in the air. I don't know if they're approved yet in Canada or the States for, 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 as antidepressants. Finally, lithium. Um, whoops, go back. What am I doing here? So back to there. So lithium um, used to be lithium chloride. Don't use that anymore. What am I, Jesus, you're such an idiot. Am I going too far? No, this is good. I'm doing this properly. Yes, there's the nice tricyclic antidepressant. Yes, so lithium, uh, used to be lithium chloride was used, but um, it's not used anymore. It's lithium carbonate. It's really cheap. A lot of these drugs are really expensive, but the lithium is cheap. 
Lithium is, 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 is a moon stabilizer. Uh, it seems to work on no one really knows. <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts on uh, nitric oxide signaling, uh, dopamine signaling, seems to modulate glutamate. Are any of those the reason that it stops the manic part of manic depression? And every couple of years, you'll see a paper come out and you'll say, this is how lithium works as a mood stabilizer. And then another paper comes in and says, not really. So it's not really exceedingly well known yet. It does work, though. And that was discovered. How the hell? I, I, to be honest with you, I can't remember how that was discovered. It just turns out that way. It's good, too, because it's cheap. Also, horribly dangerous. Uh, it's easy to take too much. OK. So all three types, so that's SSRIs, MAOIs, and tricyclics, it works the same. You're talking about uh, absorbed in the gut, these are pills, absorbed in the gut, and most of it is destroyed when it hits first, first pass metabolism. <coughs> so some gets absorbed, goes up to goes into the nervous system, that which is not ends up being delivering kidneys and being destroyed there. depending on the drug, between one and three hours for peak concentration. And this is exactly what you want for a clinical kind of thing. You want something that's going to have a long therapeutic window. Um, so these drugs tend to be designed that way, either in designing the molecule or the, with the pill. So the vehicle allows you to, uh, for slow absorption. A little longer with SSRIs, which is great because the longer the absorption takes, you can keep the concentration higher. So it, it's the longest. This is one of the reasons that SSRIs are preferred. Um, lithium, you've got to be kind of careful with lithium. Uh, now, everything's a poison in a certain dose. But lithium, the therapeutic index of lithium, salts of lithium, is about three, meaning about three times the amount that is the effective dose to control the stabilize your mood will kill you. So if you take, if you're prescribed lithium, and anybody in here that knows anybody or is on lithium knows that you gotta be really careful and you are, the instructions on the bottle don't say, like they do for antidepressants, but they say, if you miss a dose, take two. You don't do that with this because you can die. And I think I told you I saw, uh, I saw a student, this happened in a class. A guy kept me after class and he was turning green, literally turning green. Like he had a green tinge on his, you know. And he asked me about, if I knew about it, I said, sure. And he said, so I just got on it and it really seems to be helping and I'm doing better at school. And I said, wonderful. And I, he said, but I don't feel very well. And I said, did you take an extra one because you missed a dose? He said, that's what you're supposed to do. I said, not with lithium. And we went and we... Called is a small thing. So we called his father, and his dad came to the hospital. He ended up being okay, and he got away, of course. So it was cool. He ended up getting a psych degree in his life. I think back about that guy. A lot, actually. Because you have to be really careful. You're getting blood work done all the time. I don't know why they're, anyway. Uh, distribution excretion, they cross the barriers in the blood brain, obviously, and the placental barriers. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors generally have a pretty short half-life. Um, tricyclics last quite a bit longer, up to say 24 hours. SSRIs 15, 20, what is what you want for a, a clinical Preparation, right? You want something with a really long half-life. You want people to have to take one or two pills and it, it's fine for the day. Fluoxetine, so that's Prozac, is a six-day half-life. This is one of the reasons, again, that it's like it's not just that it's just targeting serotonin. Um, when the SSRIs came out, they were designed such that they worked like this. See, so MAOIs were discovered by accident their antidepressant properties, but people figured it's got to be serotonin, so they went and built 
the SSRIs. Those, those drug companies made those on purpose. And then there's uh, norfluoxetine, which actually is a 16-day half-life. So you take, you take, if you take 20 milligrams in 16 days, you still have 10 milligrams, right? So half of it's still in your system after 16 days. Okay. I think, I'm going to say these are obvious how they work, but I want to explain it again. So what monoamine oxidase inhibitors do, the name tells you, that's why I say it's obvious. Monoamine neurotransmitters, so serotonin, here we're caring about it, serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. They get broken down. Okay? They get broken down. By an enzyme, well, two enzymes, called monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B. Okay. Now, if the notion is for depression that you don't have enough monoamine neurotransmitters, how can we make more available? And you might think, well, why don't we just inject people with monoamine neurotransmitters? Well, there's a couple reasons. They don't cross the blood brain barriers, the first one. But secondly, you want the release of the neurotransmitter to happen when it's supposed to. But the notion is there's not enough being released. Well, how could we change that? Well, we just make it hang around longer. Make it hang, hang around longer by not allowing it to be broken down. So we stop the two enzymes that break it down. Or, of course, the more safe version now, the remas, which stop just one of the enzymes. So now because we have this monoamine oxidase inhibitor in us, it stops the monoamine oxidase right, from working. So it can't break down serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine. It can't break them down because it, it's been stopped, it's been blocked. Does that make sense? Tricyclics stop the reuptake of monoamine neurotransmitters. They do this by blocking these transport proteins. And what the transport proteins do is they, um, in essence, grab on to the, neuro, to, the, to the neurotransmitter that's sitting in the synapse and pull it back up into the originating neuro. Okay? Again, the idea is you don't have enough monoamines, so we make more available by stopping them from being taken up into the originating neuron. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors do that, but just go after serotonin. Reuptake. The key commonality here is serotonin. So these first two, monoamine oxidase and tricyclics, work on all monoamine neurotransmitters. SSRIs work on serotonin specifically. And this is what's led people to believe that serotonin is the key in depression. Is it? I'm not. No, it's not the only thing. It's not like dop dopamine and schizophrenia. are basically immediate. As soon as you get absorption, they're happening. Antidepressant effects can take days or weeks. So this is quite a bit different than any psychotic. So any psychotic drugs, if you're if you, if you're paranoid schizophrenic, schizophrenic, and you take your hearing voices, right? You take your clozapine, the voices stop once you get absorption, which is you know an hour. If you're Having, if you have major depressive disorder, and you take Prozac, I take a couple of weeks for that to work. Which should tell you that it's not just a serotonin issue, right? 
not just serotonin. Because if it were just serotonin, the effect would happen right away, your depression would be gone. And it's not. Okay? So it's more complicated than it's just serotonin. And a lot of people think it's just serotonin. In, uh, out there, a lot of your friends with their Facebook posts. You know, your friends that don't take classes. And who believe every meme they see. You know, it also increases serotonin hugs. Okay, it's great. Way to go. What's the therapeutic index of hugs? Anyway. Well, enough hugs. Hard enough, it could hurt you. I don't know. Weird to say. Um, so, it is a ser serotonin plays a key role. Is it just serotonin? No. That's the thing. It's too bad. If it was just serotonin, the, the, we wouldn't have depression anymore. Because we can give people SSRIs. Right? So, we still have depression in the world. Right. We still have schizophrenia, too, we control it. We still have diabetes, we control it. We still have, we still have people that have, for example, treatment-resistant depression. It's actually called that. Oh, so it's not just serotonin. So how does lithium work? I don't know. And it's not just me. Nobody really knows. People think they know, people say things, people write articles, people do experiments. Nobody really knows. It works, though. The nice thing is it works. My guess is probably magic. I think it's probably just magic. I really don't think it's magic. Please don't write down that it's magic. Dave said it's magic. But it's magic. Yeah, I don't know how it works. But I'm not alone. No, it doesn't. There's a lot of theories. Like I said, nitric oxide signaling, uh, modulating glutamate. It does seem to affect all those things. Are those the things? So we, you can know what the physiological things it's doing are, but are they the things that are causing the mood stabilization? No one knows. Because the data just are not clear, ever. Somebody will figure it out someday. This is one of those few things that like, I was taught about this in intro psych. And I took intro psych in 1984, and this is still true. A lot of the things I learned in intro psych, like, yeah, it's more complicated than that. We've learned a whole lot of things since. We still don't know. So like I said, magic is the first one, obviously. Um, it seems to decrease norepinephrine release and increase uh, serotonin synthesis. It alters GABA, it attenuates glutamate. And there's a, a, a drug that's given for Uh, mood stabilizing for the mania part of bipolar um, called valproate and it works that way it attenuates glutamate and so does lithium so maybe that's how lithium's working but I, nobody knows you might say well why would you even develop a drug if we've got this like, lithium carbonate's cheap it's literally just lithium salt because this isn't necessarily as likely to kill you when you take too much. Lithium's dangerous stuff to take. I'm not saying, again, if there's somebody in here who's taking lithium, they already know this. They've been told by their physician, be careful with this. Also, you need a blood test once every couple of weeks. You know, things like that. But if you're paying for your own drugs, right? to get lithium carbonate. Don't just eat lithium, that would be bad. Those of you who have taken chemistry, <coughs> that would be bad. It's like, just don't put, if you don't have any salt, don't just put sodium on your food. It would be exciting. Great 10 science experiments, they were so fun. Now we're gonna light magnesium on fire and it's brighter than the sun. It's the greatest thing in the world. And then a friend of mine broke open a thermometer and was walking around carrying mercury and I was thinking, I don't think that's safe. It can hurt you. 
Well, you didn't know. You put the, <laughs> the chuck of sodium in the water, and you're wondering, why am I supposed to hold this with tongs? You drop it in. Oh, I see. And you know, I was trying to convince somebody, I'll give you 10 bucks you put in your mouth. They still let you do that stuff in high school? Not put it in your mouth. They never allowed that. But you still burn magnesium and drop lithium in water? You still do that? Good. Oh, good. There's still some fun in high school. There's still some joy. And I, yeah, I mentioned uh, nitric oxide. But no one really knows. Whoops. What are you doing? There we go. Um, so lithium is super dangerous. Uh, it elevates your white blood cell count. It causes headaches, confusion, memory problems. And look at this concentration. 0.4 millimoles per liter is needed to affect, to, to, for it to work on average. And 1.2 will kill you. So again, that's a therapeutic index of three. <laughs> But some people need something close to the lethal dose for the mood stabilizing effect. That's another, like I said, that's the reason to develop drugs like alcohol and things like that. Because everybody's in a different, and maybe you need like 1.1 millimoles per liter. Oh, wow. So let's see. I won't have mania, but I might die from lithium poison. Cure is worse than this disease, right? And the thing I saw in that student, I saw the, what if the white blood cell count was made it look green? I don't know. But I did see, he said he had a headache and he was confused. Like, I mean, he, was, he couldn't really, yeah. He was having trouble focusing on talking to me. I mean, I filled in the blanks. You're taking lithium, right? Yes. Yeah, great. And he couldn't remember his father's phone number. So we actually were, I was about to call 911. This is pre-cell phone. Well, people had them, but they were really big with like you're calling on airstrike in Vietnam. Fire mission, Bravo, 6-3, Quebec, Papa, you know, it was like, that's, that's how you use cell phones. So we went, to, went down to the, one of the offices of the university, I was just in and I said, this kid needs to go to the, you know. And then he finally remembered his father's phone number, and we called him. And his father was there, I think, in like three seconds. Quite quicker than the ambulance would have been. Anyway, he's fine. Um, okay. Let's talk about the antidepressants, what their effects are. MAOIs and tricyclics, it affects acetylcholine, because that's one of the monoamines. You get dry mouth, constipation, dizziness, irregular heartbeat, blurred vision, ringing. This is common, dry mouth. The constipation is common. A little less common is the dizziness. The irregular heartbeat, blurred vision, and ringing in your ears are even less common, but they're common enough that, that, that MAOIs aren't really... Doctors don't want to prescribe them anymore. And they don't even want to prescribe REMAs, which is kind of too bad because they're probably pretty safe. They're much safer than the first generation of MAOIs. Like, this is affecting the whole class of neurotransmitters, and this is why whenever you see a, an ad on TV for a, uh, a drug, and you know, in Canada we can't talk about the effects of drugs in an ad, Right? We can just say there's an ad drug, and we have to hope the public knows what it is. So that's why you get ads for you know Viagra, where it's just a guy running around yelling the word Viagra. And you're supposed to fill in the blanks, and because we all know what that does, we can all fill in those blanks. But if it's somebody filling, like, talking about some other something impressive that we've not heard of, we don't know what it's about. But in the States, they can tell you it does this and this. Then they always, whatever the drug is, then they always read very quickly the side effects and the drug interactions. And almost every drug you hear, watch, wait for this next time you see a drug ad on American TV or hear one on the radio. Um, then you aren't fast forwarding over when you're in the yard something. Must not be taken, you're taking one of the oxidizers. You always hear that. Right? And then you hear a long list of horrible side effects. Some patients report, uh, you know, oily discharge. It's like, I don't want that. And I don't want to hear, and you go, la, 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 because you don't want to wear it the discharge is coming from. 
So SSRIs, you're more likely to get stuff like nausea. People report they just sick their stomach. Uh, nervousness, headaches, insomnia. Okay. These are, these first two are pretty common, especially the nausea. The headache is a little less common. There's something called serotonin syndrome, which basically involves you have too much serotonin. And that's got symptoms like, I don't read this properly here, high blood, uh, body temperature, agitation, incre increased reflexes, so it takes a longer to uh, respond. Tremors, sweating, dilated pupils, and diarrhea. So that can happen. I think somebody's giving, doing their paper on serotonin. Now, monoamine oxidase inhibitors block MA, uh, not, yeah, they don't block MOA, they block NAO. Dummy. MO is a memorandum of agreement. So you need monoamine oxidase to do a lot of things. And one of the problems with monoamine oxidase inhibitors, the first generation of them, is that they can lead to um, cardiac events. Okay, so uh, what's the uh, hypertensive crisis? That's the word I'm looking for. That's the term. And sudden high blood pressure, like super high blood pressure, like 180 over 120, which you, you don't want blood pressure that high. The thing is, the Remas, those these these guys here, they don't do that, and that usually was caused because of an interaction with. Uh, Tyramine, that's the name of the amino acid. Um, so people would, for example, eat something containing tyramine and they would be taking one of the amino oxidase inhibitors and they have these hypertensive events. Doesn't happen with Remus or at least very unlikely. However, um, because of the history that one of the amino oxidase inhibitors have, physicians know about that history and they're really reluctant to prescribe these drugs. Which is too bad because they're, the Remas are probably safe. Err. Nothing's, nothing's safe. Literally nothing's safe. It's all about risk management, right? All right. So tricyclics, interestingly, can be used as uh, signal hills. So that's an issue because you have people who are taking a drug for antidepressant effects, let's say, and they, the antidepressant effect kicks in, and now they have a bottle of things that they took all of and they can kill themselves. So this is one of the reasons that people, you don't get tricyclics, um, usually very, the, the pills are usually very small amounts. It's interesting that some, to me anyway, that some SSRIs affect REM sleep and some don't, and I don't know why that's the case. It's probably to do with their therapeutic index, like, no, sorry, their, their, their therapeutic window, how long it takes to absorb them, how long their half life is. It's probably something like that. The sleep effects on REM may be an antidepressant effect. So it may be, in fact, that people are more awake during the day and more awake as they're falling asleep so they have more trouble sleeping because they're thinking about things and not just lying there thinking I'm the worst person in the world. So I've heard it said that the effects on sleep may in fact be antidepressant, a side effect of the antidepressant effect. The effect on sleep is real. Like, fluoxetine actually seems to make your dreams more vivid. So it has a REM effect in that it's making you dream more. But again, that could just be an antidepressant effect. No one knows what dreams are anyway. But if you do more things during the day, you're more likely to have more dreams, to have more stuff to put in them. Let's say that. And I said, no one really knows what dreams are.
There's no euphoria or drug liking. So this isn't something people take and go, ooh, Prozac. Right? It doesn't happen. Uh, there's probably some cognitive effects here. These drugs are pretty heavily tested. But uh, especially with the TCAs, again, that's probably because they have a sort of a sleeping pill-like quality. Even. They get a little drowsy. So the cognitive effect here, meaning that you don't remember things as well. It could just be that. What was that? It was what? You don't remember things as well when you take tricyclic antidepressants mm -hmm. as when you don't take them. Yeah. Now, here's a question. I want to just see if we, maybe we talk about this a bit. There was a real controversy in the early 90s, especially. Late 80s, early 90s. When, when SSRIs first came on the scene, um, it was the idea that people were taking antidepressants as personality cosmetics. I want to do really well in my presentation. I'll just take a Prozac. I'm not telling you to do that. Okay? Look, do what you want. It's your body. I'm not suggesting you do this. Um, and it became something of a... Controversy is not quite a good enough word. It's too strong. But there were news stories. Uh, Prozac was on the cover of Time magazine. People talking about using it as a personality cosmetic. I'm curious as to what anybody's thoughts are. Like, what do you, do you think that's okay? Who thinks it's okay to just take it because this makes you feel better about yourself? Not, not in the clinical sense that you're depressed. I mean, like, you know, you're, everything's fine, but it's like, I want to do really well in this presentation. I've got a big meeting coming up. I think it's fine. Yeah. Same way? Yeah. yeah. Okay, who thinks it's horrible or just wrong? Not horrible. Anybody here think it's wrong to do that? So there's two of us in the room who have opinions. The rest of you are chickens. Pardon me? Go ahead. All the side effects. Yeah, there's no, we all know the side effects, but side effects are everything. Right? When there's side effects. If I have a headache and I take an aspirin, it's going to upset my stomach. Right? Yeah. Oh, sure. But I'm not taking, I'm not taking um, habitually. I'm taking one when I have to meet a lot of people. So I want to be on. This is so not me. To me, I'm just kind of indifferent. Like, if yeah. you take something to actually like help you out with mental problems that you have, that's great, and yeah. it's for your own benefit. If you're doing it like to help your presentation, you do you. It doesn't really matter. We're all doing our own thing. I don't. I don't yeah, really. So you you be you. That's that's my view. But I have yeah. a very libertarian view on drugs. Like I think they should all be legal. All of them. I only care about my own self-improvement. I don't care if anyone else is doing better because of... Yes. Yeah, at first I thought you didn't care about other people at all. Oh, no. You're a sociopath. <laughs> no, I care about other people. Most of That's fair. That's sort of the same way I feel about Other thoughts? Well, like some people would be like, oh, I'm going to meet people. I need to take a shot at alcohol so I can get through it. So why is that socially acceptable? But well, I don't know if that's socially acceptable anymore. But um, I'm just getting yeah, there. It is. It's just a better idea. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Yeah, go ahead. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think like a lot of times with drugs, the way we look at it is like this is the specific use for this drug. Yes. And I think that's kind of an absurd thing because yes. the drug works for you in a certain way, like for you to say like no, you can't use it for that reason. Yes. And I think that's a very narrow way of thinking of drugs. That's my view too. Like I said, though, I take a very libertarian view of drugs. I mean, I. For adults, I don't mean for kids. Like if you're yeah. a kid, is is has is it the spelling bee? I don't think you should be giving them drugs. Like performance enhancing spelling bee drugs. I don't. I'm I'm, I'm against that. <laughs> yeah, you know, like the yeah, it's you know it's a little different. Other thoughts? Any other thoughts on this? Because I mean I, I have no issue with people saying they think it's wrong and you know side effects were mentioned and it's true. And you need a prescription anyway, right? I mean, oh yeah, because you can't science. ever get drugs without prescriptions. It's impossible. <laughs> being sarcastic, you can get these things, right? Because you can know enough people. We saw those data at the beginning. 34 million Americans. That was just one of the antidepressants. 
One of those stuff. Yes, that's all right. You could get a you could get a pill if you wanted to. Yeah, you gotta know. You you probably know someone who has them because we all know someone. And then you could just say, "Can I have one of those? I have a big X." And again, I'm not suggesting anybody do that. You know. Other thoughts. There's probably better stuff drugs out there. Yes. Yeah, you take a stimulant. Yeah. Yeah, but you get so much done in like two days that would normally take you like a week and a half. Sarah admitting a whole thing about herself that we don't think really know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm of that opinion too. I also, you know, I, it was also overblown, the idea of people using it as a personality cosmetic. People said that happened, and it did happen, but it wasn't happening that much. Are you saying you're going to be selling us some drugs like as we leave? Yes, yes. Today, as you leave, uh, come to my office and I will sell you Prozac. No, no, no. Yes, no. Um, I don't have any. I don't have any drugs on me. Yeah, good. So my issue is what happens if someone starts to have a habit for it? There's no liking or euphoria for it. So it's not reinforcing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if they're like, oh, I want to do good on a presentation, they're like, oh, I did good on my presentation. Oh, right? sure, sure. That, that would be sort of a second level thing, but yeah. Yeah. I guess. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's really good, but. Yeah. We sell, we sell a lot of habit-forming things. There's a whole whole big store on Great Northern Road called the LCBO that sells habit-forming <laughs> drugs. <laughs> right? It's one of my favorite stores. Other thoughts? Please. So just a question. So Prozac is one of the ones where you could take it just once and then you'd feel an effect right well, away. Well, this is the other thing. Are the people who are taking these drugs as, quote, personality cosmetics, these drugs, Prozac has a half-life of six days, first of all, right? And the absorption takes a long time. It's not like you take one and you give your presentation to the boss. You have to take one two days earlier yeah, so I, I wonder how much of this was people, people who did claim they were doing this were actually just a placebo effect if you just gave them a sugar pill. You know, that's, 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 a, that's a serious, uh, you know, under, uh, question. For years I gave my daughter when she'd get sick, I'd give her a Flintstone vitamin, and it seemed to get rid of her tummy aches. Until one day when she was four, she said, how does this work? And I said, well, now I'm going to explain placebos to you. I've been lying to you. Disturbingly smart child. Did your kid believe in Santa? No. No, she didn't. I told her there was Santa. My wife told her literally there is no Santa Claus. What's wrong with that? We don't believe in magic. I wanted to believe. I said, kids should believe in magic a little bit. You just said you believe in magic. Yeah. I wanted her to believe in magic. Just like one magical thing. That was cute. <laughs> uh, she's told me since that she was sure she kept it up as a facade to me. Yeah. So, yeah. Fine. We're pretty rational people. No, she's yeah. She asked me how gravity worked when she was three and a half. It's disturbing how smart she is. Um. It used to be fun when she was taking classes with me. I'd say things like this, but I wouldn't say she's really smart. I just say I tell stories like that. And then they'd always make me look bad. Never try to embarrass her. I do now and then. Some of you know there's like baby pictures of Maddie. Then and see that so that kid is her. That was fun. Um, both the side effects, the main effects show tolerance. Yeah, of course they do. You know, every drug shows tolerance. Withdrawal can happen. Uh, typically, we're talking about agitation, nervousness. The opposite of what's going on here. They're, they're making you, they're not stabilizing your mood, they're, they're making you edgy. It's a lot easier to keep people on SSRIs because, uh, other than say tricyclics or MAOIs, because they, they act longer. It's easy, the, the, the uh, therapy window is, is longer, so people don't have as many ups and downs. It's harder to keep somebody on a drug that they that it keeps that it cycles along. It's a lot easier to keep people on a drug where it's nice and steady, and then they can feel the improvement, right? And remember, 
typically you're not just taking these drugs on their own. On, on their own, you're taking them and you're getting cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's what works the best. These drugs work better than therapy. Then and the and the therapy works better than placebo. And of course, the drugs work better than placebo, but you know what works best? Therapy plus drugs. Okay. Speaking of Viagra, you may need it if you take too many depressants. Um, doesn't seem like there's any effects on fetuses. However, um, there's been a lot of stuff in lab animals showing side effects, so birth defects, things like that. So usually if you're on antidepressants, your MD, OBGYN, whatever, will say to you, what's the dose you can get down to and get through the day? That's usually what happens. That's the sort of calculus. It's a sensible thing to do because if mom goes back into major depressive disorder and she's pregnant, that's bad for the kid too. You're going to get low birth weight. You're going to get, you know, the kid's not going to get right nutrition, all that stuff. So the, 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 the calculations made is what's the minimum level you can get down to? It's risk management. Everything's about risk. Um, yeah, risk management generally. Uh, you can overdose, can you? Yeah. Um, especially tricyclics, you can take them and kill yourself. One of the questions that happened again in the 90s when these drugs became popular was the notion that these were causing people to murder people. Like SSRIs were causing people to just snap and go on killing sprees. And the best explanation of this is that, no, they don't, first of all. But if that ever did happen, it may have literally been an antidepressant. If you're in a really shitty relationship, and you're maybe an abusive one, you don't do anything because you're also depressed, maybe you lash out and kill somebody. Because it's an antidepressant effect. That said, People did get, or at least there was the serotonin defense was used a few times with very weird success in courts of law in the United States and Canada. Well, I, was, I wasn't responsible. I was on Prozac. Um, happily, that isn't really that effective anymore. That's a defense. It's just like, you know, eventually courts figured out that people being hypnotized didn't let make them remember things better. <laughs> so. Things revealed under hypnosis aren't really thought of as great evidence anymore. There was a time, however, when the world worked differently. All right, questions on these drugs? And again, these are ones I think that many of us are familiar with. We have family members or ourselves are taking these drugs. Speaking of things we're familiar with, on Tuesday, we'll talk about a class of drugs. Well, one of them is hallucinogenics, and that's different because most of us probably haven't dropped acid or taking mushrooms, but I will, I will be talking about marijuana. Yes, sir. Oh, it depends on the behavior for something else. I was just curious because I know I want to find my mom on it, thinking she's bipolar, and we're completely wrong, she just does depression. And it made, I remember how bad it made her, and I was just curious. There are antidepressant effects in lithium, too. Huh. It's a, it stabilizes, it steadies everything out is the notion. But it's usually only given to people with bipolar. Well, I'm glad at least she's off because it is kind of dangerous. Oh, yeah. But yes, on, on Tuesday we'll talk about something that is now legal in this country, marijuana. Thanks, everybody.
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GAU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.